Welcome to the Equip Podcast. Here you'll find conversations from people of all different walks of life, sharing their experiences, the things the Lord has taught them, and things to equip you. Equip is based on Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, that talks about equipping God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That is our goal here, to build you up and equip you through seasons of ups and downs in life. Welcome back to another episode of the Equip Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Gibson, and today I'm joined by Chrissy Garland. Chrissy is here for a two-part episode. Um, She is the mom of two four-year-old twins, a widow, a licensed professional counselor, and an author. Now, before we get started, I want to let you know that we're going to be discussing some pretty heavy topics such as suicide, mental illness, and addiction. So if that's something that could be potentially triggering for you, maybe have a friend listen first, and then we'll make sure that we list some resources in our show notes as well. So Chrissy, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here (laughs) to share your story today. Uh, Chrissy, you were married to Eric Garland for eight years. Is that right? Yes. Will you kind of tell us how y'all met um, and walk us through your story of those eight years? Yes, of course. Um, Again, just thank y'all for having me. Thank you for giving me space just to share our story. Um, My late husband, his name was Eric Garland, and we actually met in seminary. And goodness, like 2000 nine, I think. And we were both in graduate school and I was studying to be a marriage and family counselor and he was studying to be a pastor. And when we met, it's kind of a funny story. He just started showing up at all my classes and I thought, who is this guy? Um, Is he in the classes or he just would show up? He would just show up around the classes. (laughs) So I started seeing him all of a sudden really every day. And, um, shortly after he, started following me on Facebook and then started writing me. And he later admitted that he worked for the seminary. So he found out my class schedule. He's full on creeping on you. Yeah, he was a total creeper, um, (laughs) which was kind of part of our story. Um, But uh, he said as soon as he saw me in the school cafeteria, he knew that he would marry me and that he loved me. And so he pursued pretty hard. Um, were you on board with that? Like, did he tell you that before y'all started dating? No, he didn't tell me that until we were pretty seriously dating. Um, and I should have probably run, but I didn't because I found it endearing that he would try so hard. Sweet. (laughs) But yeah, we fell in love pretty quickly. Um, he had a heart for the Lord, a heart for other people and just wanted to share the gospel with the world. And anyone who knew that, um, knew him, knew that about him. And it was just evident in his life. And so we fell in love quickly, got married in 2011 and started ministry together. Um, and he was a pastor at a church in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And I served at the church and continued to get my hours for my licensure. And, Mm -hmm. I really thought we were living the dream. So after that point, y'all got married, you're working in this church, Mm -hmm. um, and then things kind of started to take a turn. Will you walk us through that? Yes, absolutely. So we were married in 2011, and like I said, we immediately started serving in church ministry. And really from 2011 to 2019, we were in a few different churches and both working within ministry. Um, And in these years, a lot of life happened. Uh, We learned about his depression. He was diagnosed with depression, and uh, through some situations, 
he began opening up about some hardships he had faced growing up in ministry and the need to be perfect and feel like hiding all of this uh, was what made him a good Christian, a good pastor. Um, uh, we faced his mental illness. Um, we also had experienced several, several miscarriages in those years, and one was really late in into the second term, and um, that was just devastating for us. And thankfully, in 2017, God blessed us with our two miracle babies, uh, Joe and Selah. Um, but in those years, just a lot of church hurt, a lot of physical illness that he experienced. Um, and it was really in 2017 that life took a drastic change. We had served in a couple of churches and had some good experiences, some hard experiences. Ministry is not perfect, but in 2017, my husband got really sick and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And he was actually diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had had it for a while. It just went unseen, un- undiagnosed. And so um, it was devastating. We He was, goodness, 29 at the time. Is and this before y'all had your kids? This was right after our kids. Our okay. kids were about uh, three months old at the time okay. when we found out he had cancer. So you're cancer. balancing three-month-old twins, mm-hmm. and then you're now looking at cancer treatments for your husband. <laughs> yes, we're in the ministry. He's a pastor at a church, and... Uh, we finally got our kids that we prayed for forever. And so again, you think, oh, life life is working out for us now again. And then he was diagnosed with cancer. And this was devastating because the thought of losing my husband um, scared me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we had these two new babies and a life planned. But that same week, we actually also found out that he had been struggling with an addiction to opioids for quite some time. Okay. And so we were faced with his cancer diagnosis and the realization that he had this horrific addiction to opioids. And he had been taking opioids for different reasons. They were prescribed for pain, Um, but he found that they also helped him with his emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And he would take them when he was feeling sad and in despair and like he couldn't fake it anymore. Mm -hmm. And they would help him feel whole, he said. Did you know this was going on at the time, or did it catch you completely off guard? (laughs) I did not know it was going on. Um, It still takes me off guard when I talk about it, um, because it just wasn't him. Mm -hmm. It wasn't him, but he felt like in order to put on a persona of who he needed to be, he had to hide it, and he couldn't talk about it, so he found relief through opioids. So what happened with his cancer? Were y'all able to get treatment for that? Okay, so I said the same week that we found out about the cancer, we also found out about the addiction. Um, That week, he actually ended up being arrested for his opioid addiction, yes. He had found other ways to get pain pills, and again, no one knew that this was going on. Completely shocked by all of it. Um, And so he ended up turning himself in that week. And this was all while we were, we were trying to figure out when he would get the cancer removed and what next steps would be. And it was extremely traumatic, um, devastating, and life-changing. So he gets arrested. Mm-hmm. Did How long was he in jail? Did he get to come home at all? He came home the same day. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes, he turned himself out and came home the same day. Um, And all charges were dropped. It was more of a statement made. He was a pastor who struggled with addiction, and Mm -hmm. that made an amazing news story. Um, 
but it changed the lives of, of a family. So um, did he lose his job at that point? So the church gave him the option to resign. Okay. And so he, he resigned. He went to rehab immediately, mm-hmm. was in rehab for a month, uh, inpatient rehab, came back, got his cancer removed, started treatments there, continued in outpatient, outpatient rehab, and he got clean and they got all the cancer and it never came back, but we were left with just ruins, um, just all of this devastation from what just happened. And we were left with really at a job, a home. Um, our church family, a lot of them had abandoned us and really just lost and what to do next. So what did y'all do next? Well, we decided actually to take a break from church ministry, obviously. Yes. (laughs) Obviously, uh, there was a lot of healing to do. Uh, We felt like the root of these issues were uh, his depression and mental illness and how he had learned to cope with Mm -hmm. these things and had learned to hide in shame and not talk about them. Um, And I said, you know, he did get clean, but we'd be silly to not think like, once you're in recovery, you're always in recovery. Like Satan can always get a foothold in something we struggle with. So we were making sure that he was in counseling and getting the help he needed to stay clean. Uh, so we did counseling. We we rested for a year, took odd, odds and in jobs, and my kids were little, and I, I worked some here and there. But it was a hard year of healing. And then about a year after that, Eric came to me and he said, I feel like we should try to get back in ministry. And I was kind of scared because we weren't treated wonderfully from Mm -hmm. our last church. And I didn't think anyone would accept us um, Mm -hmm. with his past. And he believed, man, he believed that God redeemed. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what? Somebody will take us. And eventually we did. We we accepted a, a job offer from a church in Texas And they hired him, and we were so excited for this new beginning. My kids were tiny, and um, I was just excited that that God had opened up an opportunity. But this church, after we moved there, after we were there, they said, look, we don't mind you being here, but you cannot talk about your past addiction. You cannot talk about your mental illness. That's just not things that we as pastoral leaders talk about. Which is hard when you believe that Christ redeems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just against everything that that we believed in. But when you're desperate and you want another shot at life and ministry, um, we said, okay, even though we were burdened about it. And again, went back into shame, hiding in shame. Um, so how did that go? <laughs> it didn't go very well because if you knew Eric, he loved people so much. As soon, it's like God opened doors for him uh, within the church, within like the leadership of the church with men who had struggled with different addictions Mm -hmm. and who struggled with depression and anxiety. And so, of course, he said, this is my story. This is my story. And as that got out, they immediately let him go. And we were without insurance. We had to move out of our home and eventually he had to stop taking the medication for his depression, bipolar, anxiety, because we had no insurance. It's expensive. 
it is so expensive and you have to keep going to doctors to keep getting it. And when you don't have insurance. And so we begged, we actually begged the church to let us stay on a little longer to figure that out. But they were, they were done. (laughs) And, um, and so that kind of started the spiraling of his depression and bipolar and anxiety, which actually led to him taking his life in 2019. Hmm. Sorry. Um, so in all of this, the grief, I can't mm-hmm. imagine, is devastating. You've used that word several times. Mm-hmm. How did you fight your way out of that kind of grief? <laughs> I think I'm still fighting my way out of it. Um, I don't know if there's even a way out of it. I think there's a hope to live with it and know you're going to be okay. And it's going to be a part of you, but God's going to use it. Yeah. So, like I said, Eric took his life in 2019. And I just I kind of wanted to go back to that just for a minute yeah. because that the that day was so paramount in who I am today. Mm-hmm. And that is uh the traumatic event of um him taking his life and and I remember him telling me that day that he was done, that he was done and he didn't want to disappoint us anymore and he couldn't do it anymore. And he kissed our kids and he walked out the door and I never saw him again. Um, but I knew something was wrong. So I, I went driving that day to try to find him and ended up finding him. Um, And those moments will stay with me forever as far as grief goes. Um, And I was devastated, and the pain was so great. I can't even describe to to you or any of our our listeners is the pain you feel of knowing you lost someone in an instant and knowing that their heart just stopped. And you couldn't save them. You couldn't fix it. You couldn't take it back. And that night will always stay with me, but what will also stay with me is the presence of the Lord in those moments, too. What was that like? It was just, it was surreal. Like I said, when you go through anything traumatic and that painful and the loss of someone you love so much and hearing that they're gone forever, your whole body is just in pain. Mm -hmm. And I remember just trying to grab something, trying to get comfortable enough to where I could breathe. And I just felt this peace and warmth, and I knew it was the Lord, and I knew He was holding me, even in those moments of just horror and grief. I knew He was there. What were the days after like for you? Okay, so like I said, I I, I still experience grief daily. Um and those days after, I stayed in bed most of the time. I had to do all the funeral arrangements and all that stuff. And I remember my family helping me dress and brushing my hair. And I remember hearing my kids' laughter, but 
I didn't really know. It was like darkness. I just couldn't see what was right in front of me. Um, so for a long time, I stayed in bed. And my parents, we moved in with my parents. They're wonderful, wonderful people. Um, they would get them up, and I would stay in my room and hear their laughter and think one day I'll join them. And it took about a month, but eventually... Eventually, I was able to get up and see the sunrise and know that there's still life beyond this. And I say right now, you know, grief doesn't go away. It really is like the waves. It comes and goes, and it's different, and the fierceness is different. But it is a discipline to live with so much pain and still hope for joy. And I am committed to discipline discipline myself to do that daily. And, you know, I still carry a lot of regret and guilt. um, But it is strange, the strength that you feel um, that you know is not from you. (laughs) Um, So what gets me through my grief is is the Lord and my kids and my community. That's what keeps me going. Well, one thing, when people have something so difficult happen to them, like you have People tend to have a lot of words to say about that. And one of our goals of the podcast is to equip people. And so I'm curious, what are some things that people have said to you that were absolutely not helpful? <laughs> okay. Um, what was not helpful? I'll start by saying some of the some of the best advice that I have ever been given. And it's funny because as a counselor, it's just so simple, um, is when someone is struggling with so much trauma or grief or depression or anxiety or loss or abuse, the best thing you can do is sit on the bench with them. Mm-hmm. And people look at me kind of funny because they're like, oh, you have all these years of education and experience and that's the best advice that's you can it? give. You just want me to sit? Yeah. <laughs> but it's so true. Um, just being there. Um, see, I think we know this. People need people. Um, we need people to walk alongside of us. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're moving forward, we need them to sit in the dark closets yeah. with us of despair, which has happened with me. Um, we need them to speak truth when um, when the Spirit leads them to. Um, and we need them to be okay with silence. Um, because silence sometimes is the best healer. <laughs> and then... Like I talked to you about that pain. We need someone just to hold us when we're in that kind of pain, just to know we're not alone. Um, and we need people to say, I'm not going to leave you yeah. because of all of this. And you asked what was not helpful. Um, people who would put Eric down. Mm. I knew this was coming. Oh. I could see it coming. He was so impulsive. Um I think people thought that would make me feel better to explain what had happened, and it didn't at all. Oh, that's horrible. No. And people did that. (laughs) People did that. Um, And that really was painful. And then also people telling me how to grieve and what it should look like. And when my time of grief, like, it should be over. Like, you should be fine now. And, And I wasn't fine, and so I felt like something was wrong with me that I wasn't fine yet and I wasn't thriving in life. Um, and this is going to sound terrible, but when people would be like, it's okay, God has a plan. (laughs) And I'm like, I know God has a plan and I'm so thankful he does. But right now I don't need to hear that. Yeah. I don't need to hear that. Like, was it God's plan that my husband took his life? No, it wasn't. 
It was his choice Mm -hmm. to take his life. And I believe God welcomed him home with open arms. But that couldn't have been God's plan for Eric. And so those were things that were not helpful, (laughs) people said. That's why I said sometimes just sitting with someone, telling them you're not alone, telling them I'm here and I'm not going to leave you is the best thing you can do. So what advice would you have for someone who is trying to help or loves someone who is dealing with addiction or mental health struggles? Advice. Um, I'm just going to start by being real. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Um, especially if you're my kind of personality who thinks I can control this, I can fix this. Um, but you can't fix it, but you can fight alongside of the person and you can say, okay, like I said, I'm here for you. What can we do together? And with my personality, I tried to fix Eric. I tried to get him into every counselor I could and get all the tests done. And, um, but at the end of the day, I couldn't fix him. As a counselor, that's hard. As a wife, that's hard. Um, and honestly, as a Christian, that's hard. Yeah. Because we think we should have the answers. We should. But God's the only one that can. Um, but I think it's so important that we as believers and as the church educate ourselves that we keep trying. We keep trying when we don't understand someone, if we don't understand an issue, uh, we keep trying because people are struggling with this. Suicide rates are higher than ever, and depression and anxiety and mental illness is being talked about more than it ever has been. Especially with the pandemic. Yes. Just increase. Oh, goodness. That's a whole other layer. And we as the church need to be prepared. We need to be educated. We need to be willing to learn from those who are struggling and not feel like we have all the answers. We have the hope mm-hmm. and we have the final answer and that will always be Jesus Christ. And we have the hope of heaven and pure healing um, when we get there. But on this world, in this broken world, God provides so many resources for us and we need to to find those resources and be at the front lines of helping people. Absolutely. Um one, on one of your blog posts I was reading, which we'll link to your blog in the show notes if anyone wants to check that out, you wrote, God redeems what he allows. Can you walk us through what that means to you? Yes. So I wrote that blog. It seems like so long ago, but this is what kept me going is knowing that God takes our ashes and turns them to beauty. And I remember Eric's best friend telling me, uh, Chrissy, the in Hebrews eleven four, it says the blood of Abel will speak. And he said, I promise you, Eric's life will speak. And I remember just looking at him and crying. Um, but shortly after I decided to be open about our story, decided I would go into the light and quit hiding from shame mm-hmm. and hiding from what people thought of us. Um, and I started sharing what we had been through. People came from all over the world telling me I decided not to take my life because I read that. Mm-hmm. And I get, I still get messages daily from people who found the blog somehow or heard the story somewhere um, or know of someone who lost someone to suicide. And Eric comes to their mind. That's good. And that 
that changes my life because I know his life mattered. Mm. And that's why I share because those who think their life doesn't matter, it does. It does. And God will use it in big ways. And I wish Eric was here to share his story. I wish he was here because he was great at public speaking. (laughs) I was better in the background. But if he was here, he'd be changing lives through his story and how God redeemed him from all of that. And so for the listeners, God does redeem what he allows. Whatever you have been through, whatever you've experienced, whatever you are experiencing now, God will redeem it. He will. And it may not be how we think he should or, you know, as quickly as we think he should, but we have the promise in knowing that he does. Yeah. And we have to hold on to that hope. Uh, as we close out part one of this series, I want to know, what was your favorite thing about Eric? <laughs> My favorite thing, oh goodness. My favorite thing about Eric was his love for people. Mm. Like I said, when, when I met him, he was just light. He just showed the light of the Lord and the love of the Lord to people. And he was able to love people no matter their background, no matter what they had done or or been through or um, their status. He loved them the same. Mm, And people can attest to that. And that's what I found when he died is people just telling me how much they felt loved by him. What an encouragement and what a legacy to leave. Well, I am so glad that you've joined us today. Um, We're going to keep recording part two. um, So I hope that our listeners will come back next week for part two. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Equip Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to be the first to know when a new episode drops. And follow us on social media to stay connected. We're at GABC underscore women. See you next time.